Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to another UK Film Review podcast episode and tonight we are all talking about the Fast and the Furious franchise following the release of F9 on Friday and joining me are two heroic critics. Uh, We've got Robert. Hello. And we've got Brian. Hi there. I don't know why my voice went up so high then. I think I'm just excited, to be honest. I'm just excited <laughs> about, about the Fast franchise. It's what it does to you. It fills you with adrenaline, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so, uh, guys, um, starting with you, Robert, just generally, are you a fan of the Fast and Furious films? Yeah, um, but, I mean, I'd say I'm a bit, like, fluctuating. But um, I think mm. overall, I mean, I, I, kind of, I, I was sort of, like, converted when I was a lot younger, and then I've... I've kind of watched the series like grow and evolve and like change from what it started out as to kind of what it's become now. Mm. Um, and that's been like an interesting ride. I will say that like, unfortunately one thing that has put me off the series quite a lot is um, the fan base. Uh, I haven't, I, I, I really have not been a fan of, I'm, I'm, I haven't been a fan of what I've seen of fast and furious fans online i just i just don't like them that much but (laughs) i think that even though they've been kind of annoying a lot of the films themselves have been like worthy i would say at least of like watching once even just purely as mindless fun spectacle they've kind of fulfilled that purpose you know i would Mm -hmm. say each of them has even if you want to argue that some aren't aren't good as movies you know yeah, I, I just love the fact that we're not even two minutes in and you've already slagged off the fan base of the show that we're meant to be. You know, it's fine. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, cheers. I'm going to get death threats now. That's cool. Um, Brian, how about you? Well, I'm broadly, I'm a fan. Uh, I think they're highly competent. They're well staged. Broadly, very entertaining. I struggle to tell them apart sometimes, I've got to be honest. The phrase, seeing one, seeing them all springs to mind. But... Mm. 
I think in some ways they lack artistic merit because the sole purpose is to make money. But it's a phenomenon and it deserves recognition. And I think after nine films, they must be doing something right. And one other point I'd make is that one of the heroes is called Brian. And we need more <laughs> heroes in films called Brian. It's a beautiful thing. That's, that's and I want to put it out there. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't see that coming, to be honest. I didn't think you were going to be so self-serving on your intro. <laughs> oh, like, wow. rely, you can rely on me. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm somewhere in the middle of all that. I, I, I think that good enjoyable films in general i like the spectacle and i think you know from a cinema point of view it, they're just full of everything you want from a you know for that side of things there are issues you know then they and what's funny about it is they're glaring right it's not like we need to really look hard to find the issues um but there's there's so much fun as brian as you said it's you know they're doing something right there's a formula here that works and whether it's borrowing a lot from films that are popular which they definitely do or if it's creating a you know this central character base that people just seem to have connected with um i just think they work and for whatever reason they deserve our attention you know the release of f9 on friday has done really well so far in the box office apparently so it's just a good um you know set of films to really dig into and have a look at um i gotta say when i was planning this um podcast it wasn't the episode that everyone jumped to, to be honest. I, I put it out on this long list of things that people wanted to, to be on. And this wasn't the, on the top list of everyone. So thank you for coming, guys. You know, it's a, mm, a pleasure to have you. Um, so we had I put out on the social media just to see if we get any kind of uh, initial thoughts on um, Fast and Furious films. And um, we got a couple of responses. So Nick Catanio, um, hi, Nick. I know you're a lovely guy. Um, he said that they are escapism with cars that have 150 forward gears, which is very true, and easy-to-watch entertainment. Um, would you go along with that, Brian? That kind of yeah, stomach? I think so. I think mm. that's fair. I, I think they set out their stall from the beginning, don't they, really? Mm. There's a, what I like about the Fast and Furious series is that there's no pretension. It's, you know, what you see is what you get, right? It goes for the juggler straight away, so you've got lots of great cars, Lots of car chases. But in some ways, you feel it's quite limiting because how many ways can you blow up a car? <laughs> but, but, but having said that, I cannot deny they're entertaining and I enjoy watching them. But there's something about them that doesn't hold the attention quite as much in terms of the storyline. We'll come on to this a bit later. But I think the narrative has grown stronger as the series has progressed. Hmm. I find that um, the 150 forward gears is very interesting because there's so many in, uh, moments in the Fast and Furious movies where they just need to go a bit faster, so they change gear. And it's like, yeah. you were going fast before. Was there not like a you know a simple, like, let's get to the top gear, right? Surely yeah. you want to... <laughs> I don't want to judge it, but... Yeah, but no, but it defeats logic in some ways, though, doesn't it? Like, some <laughs> of the things they, they do... I mean, there's, there's a scene uh, in, I think it was 8, where, where they... If, it, if they'd have done this for real, when they were racing each other, when Dom and the other guy were racing each other, you know, if they were doing it for real, they would have taken out a dozen pedestrians mm -hmm. easily. Oh, yeah. and, then, and then he beats him by driving in reverse with the car on fire. Of course, it happens all the time, doesn't it? You know? <laughs> That's how I used to get to work before the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. Naturally. Yeah. Naturally, yeah. Um, uh, we had another comment um, from Lone Pine Picks, uh, which are uh, great great studio um they said the original is a fantastic movie that's all i have to say laughy face emoji so i have to have to describe the emojis because uh, i can't mm. put them on here um mm. which is a nice segue into the first film 
because that's where we're going to start. Uh, you know, and Lone Pine Picks said it's a fantastic movie. Rob, how do you feel about The Fast and the Furious, which I believe came out in 2001? Yeah, well, um, it's weird. So, so I know I might have said to you that I watched it, but that would be kind of a lie because I saw <laughs> it. Um, <clears throat> I, I think I remember I just saw it when I was like on like, I, I saw it on TV or something like that. And I, I remember like certain parts of it. And I think, I think I remember the third act mainly, but for the most part, I just more remember it for the imagery that was present in the trailers, um, the influence it had on later films mm. and, you know, the kind of, um, <clears throat> and, you know, certain clips from it online. So I can't, re- I don't have like full experience of it, but, what I will say is that it is very, very interesting. What like noting that the series basically started off as just a point break riff. Mm. It's because the first one, when you think about it, is basically point break, but you switch it out. You switch out surfing with like street racing, and in some ways, I think that kind of it goes against the whole notion that the series was always about street racing. Because in reality, it from the beginning, it was more of just a crime fr- a crime film that had this urban street racing element as one of its main, like, aspects, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm so glad and slightly annoyed that you mentioned Point Break because it was well in my notes straight away that it was reminiscent of Point Break. And it is very much that, isn't it? You've got this guy infiltrating the the criminal or potential criminal group. Uh, he's a cop and, you know, it's he gets involved and he gets too deep. And there's a love interest as well that is making things kind of murky. And yeah, it's it's interesting looking at that as a foundation for the series because they get quite a lot right in that first film. They get the um, the group. You've got Dom, you've got um, his sister, and you've got Brian, obviously. You've got Brian. So mm-hmm. yeah, Brian's happy on the podcast. So, oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> and it's uh, for me, it had kind of this like raw scruffy appeal um it's, there's definitely bits that are a bit dated like the actual one of the race scenes where they're going through the streets was a bit like oh okay well <laughs> that's uh that's not looked good um but it did get quite a lot right um brian what about you yeah no i mean i quite enjoyed it i i think it's strange really because you view it now amongst eight other films or seven other films and you compare them together but i mean if you view that film in isolation I would say that's a very good film, that it works really well. And I think the the reference to Point Break that you and Rob mentioned is a very good one because we know very well that the vast majority of these stories are familiar. There are only seven plots for a a film anyway, for a story, and we know that. They're all variations on a similar theme, but it works really well for what it is, you know, that it is a classic action movie. Vin Diesel is that type of actor. And I think it works really well. But as I say, though, if you view it in isolation, you might see it differently to viewing it alongside the other eight or the other seven, Mm. you know, but a very good film. And also fits with with my continuing notion that in any uh, set of franchises, often the best one is the first one because it sets out its stall. You get the core characters involved, the best ideas Almost certainly in the first film. But again, it's it's a question of perception and how you view it, but a very good film by itself. Well, I'd, I'd be interested to know if this is your favourite, though, of the series. Well, that's 
Is that too early to tell? Yeah, I think it's too early to tell, yeah. Because I'm looking forward to seeing nine, actually, because I think the series has got stronger as it's progressed, in my Mm. opinion. So it would certainly be up there, though. One would be be in the top three. Let's put it that way. Okay, fair enough. Um, Just uh, for listeners to know, um, Rob is the only one who's seen the, the ninth film, and he may just mentioned briefly at the end about it, but we aren't going to talk too much about that one. We're not going to spoil anything. We will be spoiling all the others. So if you've not seen any of the Fast and Furious films or the spin-off, then, you know, just to bear in mind, we will be talking about, well, potentially talking about plot points that will spoil it for you and your enjoyment. Um, So one of the things that I I noticed in the, the first film is certain aspects kind of get set up that, do end up becoming mainstays of the series. So one of this is the sort of machoism. You know, there's a lot of machoism in these films. It's guns, it's cars, it's hip hop. It's, well, it's actually more heavy metal, actually, more in the first one. Mm. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's it's muscles and it's muscle cars and, and all this sort of stuff. Is that something you guys found enjoyable as the, a part of the franchise or was it kind of alienating or was it, or were you not really that bothered about well, it? Well... Uh, so, so what I personally say, I mean, well, first of all, I mean, that that's just a staple of like a lot of action movies, you know, mm. but like, that's kind of like, I, I think like, I think the difference is, is that with this series, there is a bit more to it. Like, yeah, there is a lot of machoism, but there's also a lot of heart as well. You know, like, yeah, there is a lot of like, you know, like hip hop mu- music and like current music, but there's also... Yeah, like, 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 you know, like that, like that stuff kind of, I feel gives it a bit more of a distinctive, even as it's gone bigger, still a distinctive, like you could, you could say urban flavor or an urban, like a a somewhat like, like diverse flavor, you know, that you can add to the series, you know, that makes it feel a lot more global, you know, that makes it feel a lot more like wide reaching in terms of its appeal you know so it's not just appealing to one audience it's a bit or it's not just appealing to audience from one country you're appealing to like several different countries at the same time um i i know that statement might sound kind of weird but you know but that's but if if you can if you can see what i'm getting at that's kind of what i'm getting at and you know and kind of and and you know i've never like i've never felt that the series is like um really indulged in just being like just, just, just broy, or you know, just like, like, like there are a lot, there is a lot of broiness to it, but it's never like to the point where it's just off-putting, you know. Fair enough. And for you, Brian? Yeah, I mean, I think we have to accept that it portrays, it projects a certain image, and mm. that image has been constant throughout. I think, uh, as as for the machoism, it's obvious, isn't it? You know, from the word go. You, you have girls in cutaway jeans and bikinis swooning over men in fast cars. You know, it, it puts it out there and it makes it obvious what it's aiming at. Now, I can imagine that would be offensive to a lot of people, but I take the view that, yes, you know what you're getting. If you find it offensive, if it turns you off, you don't watch. You know mm. what you're getting. And I think whilst it, it works within those parameters and people know what it's getting at, um, then if you don't have a problem with it, you'll watch it and you'll enjoy it for what it is. Because I think a certain amount of it is a parody anyway. It is sending up that kind of macho, streetwise, hip-hop style of making films. It's kind of like, it's, it's a part of parody, I think, in some ways. That's why it's so much fun. But again, I can see how why it would offend some people. But, you know, 
living in the 21st century, we have to accept that, you know, some people are not going to take kindly to certain films. But what I think is surprising is how it's still flourishing in the 21st century, this type of film. Because I would have suspected it might have died out by now, but it's not. Yeah, and I think that the way that they've managed to tone the elements down, or, uh, sorry, that sounds wrong, tone the elements in the way that it's actually on all aspects. Like you say, it is sending up so many different categories of film that it's now hard really to pinpoint a finger and say, oh, okay, well, oh, that's we don't like that element because it's all kind of become quite ridiculous and quite huge and, and massive, but in a way that is also, as, as Rob said, it's like still got heart, it's still got it's still lovable, it's still kind of, you know, you're, you're engendered to sort of like it, um, which I found interesting, um, especially about the first one, because as I said, I think they're setting up the, the foundations for the franchise. Maybe they didn't know it was going to be a franchise at this point, but there's things here which they looked at and went, well, that's in the recipe. We're definitely carrying that forward. That that works, that works. Um, and then when you get to sort of, it's not, not really until you get to sort of number five that they really deviate too much from it. Um, also, I found the first film, they were quite technical about the cars. It was almost, there was a bit, they, they were talking about what's under the herd and they're talking about how they souped up these vehicles and it was like you're watching it thinking wow you must you really need to know your stuff if you care yeah. about this um which i didn't I, I found that those parts were um not for me anyway yeah yeah well actually i think that that was kind of indicative of the fact that like the first film like although obviously you had these like you know uh like like these the, these sort of like mainstream appealing like elements you know like you know like paul walker and vin diesel you know both of them were fairly well known actors you know and you have like and you have this sort of like you know standard crime thriller plot line mm. the the first one is also was like you know i think it was just very much for gearheads as well like they were very much like let's make a movie an action movie or an action crime film that is like aimed at gearheads you know mm. Mm. sorry i'm eating a custard cream i do apologize <laughs> as you do as you do yeah. <laughs> um so I mean, that's the first film. Let's, let's just jaunt along to what is arguably one of the greatest uses of film title, Too Fast, Too Furious, um, <laughs> yeah. which came out in 2003, so a couple of years later. And interestingly, directed by John Singleton, which I mm. thought was like, wow, like I did not. And when I went revisited, I was like, was it? Like, I had to really double check that it was yeah. definitely him. Obviously, mm. yeah, known for Boys in the Hood and things like that. Yeah. Um, so with the second film, it's now Brian has kind of moved away because he's got in trouble, obviously, for letting Dom go at the end of the first film. But then he has a chance to sort of um, save his career and save himself by getting involved again with the police and helping them out. But this time, he so we don't have Dom in this film. We have Tyrese Gibson, um, who does obviously become part of the franchise later on. But it was a change to the recipe that, I, that didn't work for me at all, to be honest, the removal of Dom. For me, Dom was the sort of heart of the film. Mm. And I think you feel it in this one. What about you, Brian, with this one? Did you, yeah, was that something I, you noticed? I, yeah, I was actually quite disappointed with Too Fast, Too Furious, mm. particularly John Singleton as di director. I expected it to have a much stronger motif because it was John Singleton. Mm. And I expected it to have more stylistic edge. But again, where you compare it with other films, it seems to sink a little bit. And it's you think, wow, that's that doesn't look like a John Singleton film. And as you pointed out, you keep on looking at the credits, you think, hang on a minute, was that John Singleton? <laughs> and yeah. it, it lacks that certain something. And whilst it was 
it was very well done, very watchable, but not one of the best. And also, I think where they try to groom uh, Tyrese Gibson and um, uh, Michael, Michael, sorry, Paul Walker yeah. as kind of like a buddy act. So I don't think that quite came off either, really. No, and I, I did get that sense that they kind of wanted it to be a buddy cop movie and yeah. it didn't quite land. Funnily enough, though, they noticed that the strength with Gibson was as the comedic relief. And I think that obviously, again, part of the recipe, they noted that for future films and maybe that's why he kind of came back. Um, what I did notice with this one is was the first time they had like a proper villain um, yeah, I can't actually really remember too much about him, but I think he was um, like a dealer or something like that. And they, they were mm. after him, and it was quite, it was kind of the oh yeah yeah. He, so he's the guy that was sort of in charge of everything, and he had like even Mendez was like part of his yeah, sort of that's right. Yeah. And, and it was the first time it kind of took on this like James Bond feel. It was like oh okay, hold on, we've got like a cackling baddie here. Like all right, okay, <laughs> not sure on this. Yeah, I I sense though. I suspect they were running through the the numbers though. They're thinking, right, what do we need to have in this series? And they're ticking them off as they go along. And we need a kind of a a drug dealer, drug lord. We tick that one off. We want a buddy axe. We'll tick that one off. You know, we they go on and they do a heist. We'll tick that one off. So it seems to me like they were gradually sort of ticking those boxes to say, right, what have we got to include here? is that a bad thing? I don't know. <laughs> um, Rob, how about you? Yeah, well, so so, so that one, uh, similarly to the first one, didn't really like ever, ever watch like fully. But like, but, but I have to point out one thing about it that was really noteworthy to me when I and this wasn't something that was that I noticed on my own. I noticed this when people pointed out that there is like an, an incredibly I would say a very homoerotic undercurrent to that <laughs> oh, yeah. film. Oh yeah, definitely. That is present that I would say is present in most of the films actually, like like quite a few of them. And you you could argue and, and you could argue it was there in the first one, but I think it was there so much in the second one that it makes me wonder if that's something that they just started playing into because they realised that for the most part that's what people remembered about Too Fast Too Furious was that Brian and Roman had this like so, like it, it was, as you pointed out, like a buddy pairing, but it was so so homoerotic that they probably thought they 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 probably just thought to themselves, let's play this up between many other characters in the future. Hmm. Yeah, hmm. no, I'm glad I'm glad someone else brought it up because I I was gonna mention it, but yeah, I think there's so much in all the films where you have this um, romantic kind of feelings between the characters, but it goes unspoken because it's in a world of machoism. That I, it, it's interesting to see it play out. Um, and number two, I hadn't really thought about it as number two because I always kind of feel it's um, between the characters of Brian and Dom. Um, but actually, yeah, now that you've mentioned it, I think you do get a bit of that in Too Fast, Too Furious. Funnily enough, I feel that this is kind of one of the, I would say it's probably the most forgettable of this, this and four, but very forgettable. Um, So I'm going to move us on. Unless anyone has anything else to say about Too Fast, Too Mm. Furious. Anyone else? No, no, that's about it, I think. Uh, good. We'll move on as swiftly as the gear changes to Tokyo Drift. um, Because this always stands out to me as being the stinker when actually when I revisited it I was like oh, actually it's not 
as bad as I remember it. It is bad, don't get me wrong. But there's bits in here that do kind of serve the franchise. And it was quite a bold move to try and take it completely out of the US and change with all the characters. Because in this one, it's obviously, it's not, it's not Brian. It's a different character. Um, I think Vin Diesel does a cameo right at the end, but apparently he only did that to get the rights to Riddick <laughs> when they, they, they asked him to really? be in the... Yeah, I heard that. I you know when that. you're on Amazon, I don't know if you guys use Amazon Prime, but yeah. um, just to let you know, there are other services available. But yeah, yeah. they yeah, you have this whole thing, like uh, X-Ray. Like you hold, oh, X-Ray, you that's good, it. yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting because when I was watching yeah. these films, obviously I'd seen some of them before, it was great just to get these little tidbits of uh, information. But yeah, one of the things was that Vin Diesel was never meant to be in number three, but the ratings oh. would look so bad. They asked him yeah. to do a cameo and sort of begged him and he said he'd do it for the rights yeah. to Riddick, which he then made a film later on. Oh, it all makes sense so, now, doesn't it? There you go. But yeah. with Tokyo Drift... Um, I think they got a lot wrong. I think that you know, the central character was just too bland. He was very, very boring. Um, it was misogynistic from the very, very beginning. Um, like you had these girl being offered as the prize, like there's a bra yeah. being dropped at the start yeah. of the race. I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and it was just, it got so much wrong other than introducing the character of Han, which who is absolutely brilliant. Um, mm. But it is, I guess it was the first one that Justin Lin directed right so he becomes a bit of a mainstay of the directors um so rob tokyo drift how are you on this one oh good well as it was so tokyo so so tokyo drift is the one that i didn't even see on tv and and don't worry uh, the next one i did see uh, but, <laughs> but yeah but, but that was one that like i never did see but i did but i have noticed like in the later entries they have like done quite a lot of callbacks to that one and that's partially like that's not only because they had the Han character but because in a couple of the films they had to sort of set the stage as to why he'd be there as well like and uh, so as a result and even in Furious 7 in Furious 7 they literally revisit the ending and show us the aftermath of it and you know um and yeah and 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 there are some other callbacks to it in like F9 some of which you might be able to guess upon seeing the marketing others that you know you probably won't and that i won't give away um but that has but like that that did go from being like the forgotten one of the series like probably even more so than the second one the the, like the forgotten one but now it's become very important to the series yeah they they tripped themselves up so much i don't think it was intentional the han character Mm -hmm. thing i think they they realized later on that they wanted to bring him in that it was like Mm -hmm. Oh, okay, right. We, we're now dealing with this non-linear uh, time structure, which the films are not smart enough to deal with. And it was like, oh, okay, like, so when was this film set? Um, I've not seen number nine, but I have seen a spoiler. Uh, I'm not going to say what it is, but it's already like, oh, okay, right. I'm, I'm interested to see that. Um, uh, Brian, uh, for you, take a drift. Um, I thought it was just okay. I think mm. relocating it to Tokyo was, on the face of it, a smart move because it, you put it into a new setting, but it's the same deal. It's the same story in a different setting. I think the um, the opening scenes were an absolute joke, particularly, as you mentioned earlier on, when the girl said, right, whoever wins can have me. I think, oh, my <laughs> God, really? Um, and you think that's a bit much even for 2006. But I think Han was a pretty cool character. I think Clay, the new the new character they introduced, didn't really work. You're right; he was a bit bland. But if I can just 
indulge in a bit of a nitpicking, really, with, with the storyline yeah, slightly. Um, this one involves the Yakuza, the, the Yakuza, who mm. are the Japanese mafia, basically, right? Now, at, at the end, Clay says, let's let's settle this with a car race. And you think, this guy's from the Yakuza. These people <laughs> chop each other's fingers off to apologize. You think he's going to accept a car race? And I thought, nah, sorry, that doesn't quite work for me. Um, but aside from that, look, it it's... It, like all all of the Fast and Furious franchise, they're all very watchable. But this one I found very easy to pick apart, much more than the others in some ways. But yeah, it's okay. It's I right. think you're you're right to pick it apart, and I think it's because of the first off the complete lack of recipe here. They took out too many of the main ingredients, uh, which made the sort of first film okay it's it's pretty high school as a film like you're watching mm-hmm. it and there's a lot of like teenage angst and there's school scenes where he's not fitting in and you know it was just felt there's a lot of tire screeching as well in this one i sound like i'm about 105 i know when i'm talking about this but <laughs> they they were drifting obviously for a lot of the film that's that's kind of like a thing it was like, oh we're gonna learn to drift and it's like, okay, it's great, but do you realise how irritating it is to listen to that screeching sound you know, non-stop? And I, I, I came away from this one thinking, I'm just glad it's finished. I actually was like, I don't... Because also, as I say, if you know, if you've seen the films and then you go back and watch this one, you know how inconsequential it is. You're watching it kind of go, oh, okay, well, this is literally not really that important. Um, well, I, I, I wouldn't say it's, like, inconsequential. I mean, it can, it, like, it has... It, it, it's probably the least directly associated with the rest of the films because mm. I would say from this point onwards, the rest of the films are very, very closely linked to each other. But this one isn't. This one does sort of stand out as its own thing that only later on is revealed to tie into a couple of the other ones. So, I, I mean, I see your point, but I don't quite agree. Do you think, though they got it right from the sense of like Han's character. Because if you watch the film, Han seems quite carefree and fairly like a bit of a fun-loving character. But you see what happens to him in the series and why he's there. It doesn't make any sense. Because obviously it's you know, he has the, the, character, the Gal Gadot character mm-hmm. later on. And then you watch that film, you're like, he just seems very kind of chilled. And, and he's sort of not... It doesn't make any. It doesn't tie in that bit anyway for me. Um, I'm going to move on to Fast and Furious, which is interesting that this is the fourth film, but they called it Fast and Furious, I believe, uh, mm-hmm. with, with an ampersand. Yeah. Um, and we've jumped forward to 2009, and again, Justin Lin is on, and the team are back, and you've got Han as well. So Han is back. So immediately you opens up with this big kind of uh, heist piece, and you're kind of going. Why is Han here? <laughs> um, and it, it makes you then question, oh, okay, there's a timeline thing going on here. Right, I'm, I'm with you. Um, but this is the film where they really start, well, for me anyway, they start to know what works in the uh, in the recipe and they start to get it kind of a bit more right. Um, Rob, uh, so you said you, you, you know this one a bit better, maybe? Yeah, yeah, because so, this is the first one that I saw in cinemas. Um, and, you know, and, and like, on the one hand, you know, I do, I do, I do kind of agree on the assertion that it is one of the more forgettable entries um, because I only really remember the beginning of it and the ending bit. There's a lot in the middle that is just kind of a blur, yeah. um, aside from maybe a couple of select scenes. But at the same time, though, um, I think, I think what it kind of did well was it kind of like 
first of all, by bringing back the original cast, that kind of added a sense of like, it added this sort of reunion vibe that a lot of the other films have kind of exploited in a sense. But this is the first time we really got a, a reunion, you know, particularly between the characters who were like, you know, the two leads of the first two films. And um, that kind of was the most like engaging thing to watch like play out. Um, and but the, but I think the problem is, is that Justin Lin, he kind of he had a good idea, but he just couldn't really work out an interesting story to really go with it. And it, particularly, I think in retrospect, looking back at it, you realize that they it felt more like they were just laying the groundworks for Fast Five and even other future entries. You know? Yeah, I agree. I think it was a get it back on track film <laughs> because of two big deviations away from what they could have done and actually Mm -hmm. you could have pretty much removed two and three and you wouldn't have noticed um it would have been like oh okay great who's this hand character great fantastic um and what i did notice obviously you got that opening scene it all starts to get a little bit ridiculous you know there's things that they do brian you mentioned earlier about the reversing how fast yeah. can these cars go in reverse it doesn't make yeah. any sense <laughs> and he's like breaking frozen links between the tankers and, and sliding under the rolling tankers and all this stuff um but i think what this is where the spectacle gets really big and fun and you know it gets to that ludicrous point that you're thinking do you know what i'm going with this now you're on the ride you're either on the ride or you're not um the actual storyline um so obviously uh, the michelle rodriguez character letty she gets um killed kind of Hmm. off screen and you don't you know and then it's like that's what brings the two characters of brian and don back together to figure out who did it um but as as rob said as you said rob the middle of the film, I can't really remember massively what happened, to be honest. Um, I know there's a big desert chase at the end, which was pretty cool. Um, although there was one scene where Vin uh, Vin Diesel, instead of rolling down the window to shoot his shotgun, he just breaks it with his elbow. <laughs> and you're just thinking, like, surely that wasn't really the best way to do that. But anyway, um, for you, Brian, uh, Fast and Furious 4. Yeah, I, I actually really enjoyed it. And it was nice, in some ways, it was comforting to see Brian and Dom back in harness because they were in the first film. Two and three, like you said just now, two and three, you could, you could have, you could have done without in some ways because there was a, there's a natural sort of symmetry between the first and the fourth film. Uh, and it was nice to see them back together. You see that chemistry picking up again. Um, it was very well done, but to pick up on your earlier point about things that you don't remember in a film, and Rob, you mentioned it as well, I think with a film like this, these sort of films, you can quickly forget passages within the film Mm. because of the way they're made and because of the emphasis on visuals is that you do forget very quickly. You can forget phases in the film, and it's, it's very easily done, I think, but Fast and Furious 4 is where it kind of begins to crank up a little bit i think now you see them getting into their stride and it's beginning to become more of a a coherent franchise i think definitely i actually in my notes when i rewatched it recently i put down that it was a strong film with a better plot um but i think what then happened was i carried on i did it chronologically so when you get to five onwards that's when it gets sort of to the upper leagues of the series for me. So I, I think that's why I sort of ended up forgetting this one. But when I watched it, I did enjoy it. Um, mm. So I think, and also it's got um, the introduction of Gal Gadot as well. She comes in and her character is really great within the series. Um, it was good fun to have her in there. Um, 
and, and you know an important character sort of gets created here so it was worthwhile um i definitely think it's one of those ones as well because five was so popular that people may often forget to go back to that sort of film because maybe it's that kind mm. of like earlier series uh, section that people kind of maybe just skip but i do think four is is worth revisiting um mm. so let's um but let's skip it now and let's move on to number five because number five was actually i this is my favorite I'll, I'll hold my hands up this is my favorite of the whole whole franchise um and i think it was because it was the first one that i'd seen in the cinema all the others i'd only seen on dvd or, or whatever um and i remember seeing it in cinema and just being blown away by the spectacle of it it was just so much fun this is where they really start to get more of the comedy element in i think um and that you know obviously with um dwayne johnson being introduced that works really really well um i think you know it's it's got that film aspects that they start to now get right so much of it um it does go a bit oceans 11 at times you know where they're you know, selecting their team members and things like that but like i said i think the, these films do borrow a lot you know i think they even reference like mission impossible at one point you're sort of thinking okay yeah, you guys know what you're doing then okay right good um but i i very much enjoyed it uh rob did you enjoy fast five Okay, yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, like, I like obviously, so I didn't dislike Fast and Furious when I saw it, but then when when we were coming up to Fast Five and I was, like, looking at the advertising, I was thinking, eh, this, eh, this isn't going to be that good. Like, I was thinking that I wasn't, I, I wasn't that impressed by, like, the ad campaign. Uh, but then when I, like, I saw the um, reviews for it and I was like, wait, actually, they're, they're quite positive. And then when I was a kid, like like I was still young, but I had the internet, obviously, and I looked up, and then I and then I went to see it, and I came out really, really liking it, and kind of realizing that what had just taken place was like I would say not only like the defining mo- moment of the whole series, the thing that like jumped it into popularity, but also I would say a big jump in quality as well. Yeah. Like although it was still an action movie and. Although, obviously, you can still try and look at it and say, like, oh, yeah, that's cheesy or, oh, yeah, that's not great writing or something. Like, it it felt like the people involved were taking it way more seriously, trying way harder to make, like, not not just an entertaining movie, but I would even say a good movie. And you can kind of see that in the fact that it's a lot longer than the others. And although this would kind of, like, be a problem in that film and in later films, obviously, like, the length of them... um, the fact that it was longer kind of showed like they were devoting more time to character interaction. They were devoting more time to like extending the story. And, you know, it was a film that was like wildly entertaining. It was definitely, even though it, hit, it did hit a similar lull that Fast and Furious hit, it, that it, what, what kind of helped you get through that was the fact that there was like, far, like really good, really ent- hilarious moments. Uh, great. Again, as I said, great character interaction, uh, great action, uh and yeah yeah overall just this like feeling of like life and even new blood which is weird because you know it's the same creative people it's the same it's the same writer same director as the previous one and maybe a couple of the others as well but it ended up just being this like big leap in quality and also this kind of like both this like uh celebration of the prior films but also this kind of journey towards a new beginning 
Like, in some respects, Fast Five almost feels like it's the conclusion of the series, even though it's not. It almost feels like it's, like, the big, like, reunion of many of the characters. Um, and, like, like apart from Lessie, for the most part, it's a lot of them are just characters from prior installments that they've brought back. And it kind of ends up that, and in, in that, and in many other ways as well. It ends up feeling like a celebration of the series up until that point. So, yeah, I think, yeah, 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 I thought it was really impressive. I really agree with you there, Rob. I think you're right about the fact that it could have been the final film. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, they have this whole setup of them being in South America. They're trying to win their freedom. Obviously, they've been involved in all these illegal activities in previous films, but they're now being hunted. So it's like, you know, can they survive? Can they reach that? And also, there's this... um, you know, section where we realize that Mia, um, Brian's partner and Dom's sister is pregnant. Um, then it's like, oh, okay, you've got this whole idea of new beginnings and that it's going to be, well, they'll have to settle down now, right? He's going to be a dad. Um, that that was an interesting thing to, to introduce. Um, going to one of the points you said about maybe being a better film, you know, they actually seem like they were really trying here. One of the things, I think it was this film, again, I'm from my Amazon flash-ups, it said that um, Justin Lin, uh, as a reaction to what some of the fans were asking for, <clears throat> really wanted to reduce the amount of CGI, and they wanted to sort of bring in more of, you know, the actual uh, you know, proper stunts and things like that, rely less on, on the technicals. And I think that is something that you do notice with more of the later films, that they start to do things for real. You've got more practical effects rather than um, digital effects. And that really helps elevate the film, I think. There's more tension, there's more depth to the to the to those scenes. So I think Fast Five is a good example of that. Brian, how about you? Yeah, I thought it was excellent. I think it was great fun. I think it's a very good point you made about cutting down on CGI because we get to a stage now I think with films where we become less impressed by CGI and we respond more to real stunts mm. where it's being done for real and you really no- notice it here but brilliantly constructed well put together I think you you sense it's the brand it's the franchise coming into its own it's beginning to mature a bit more now I think and also I think I'd have to point out Dwayne Johnson the rock because I think he, he's um He's a much better actor than people give him credit for <laughs> because he he, he adds yeah. light relief. He he adds some humour, and he knows what he's doing. But you know he knows what his limitations are as an actor, but he does it very well. And I think he makes a huge difference to the brand itself when he comes in, does what he does. He does it very well, and I I think he he makes a huge difference to that film. Yeah, I know. And like, because he like, I mean, what's really interesting is that Tommy Lee Jones was originally going to play that role. And I mean, first of all, that would have been wildly different. And second of all, it, it would have just been him doing what he did and did in the fugitive, you know, but just in this action film. So, so, so Dwayne just like, I think he just, he just fits this kind of tone and style a lot better yeah. than an actor yeah. like Jones would have. And I think, but what made him great as well was that you kind of had this like, like you, you, you had a character who was basically playing like the villain of the film. You know, I know that there was like a villain that was in that film, but he's but Dwayne just sticks out way more as the basically the the main threat of the crew until he like you know like helps them out at the end. You know, and it's kind of like he, I think he just add, he did add this more sense of like you know actual like okay they actually have to like face up against like a threat you know they have to face up and you know and he is technically a good guy because he's on the side of 
you know the 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 law who's just trying to catch these criminals but he is still like he's still a threat you know and that works yeah because yeah, obviously we side with dom and the outlaws and i think he's that yeah yeah that presence but he's also like the presence that you kind of stand by like because you think well he's very good at what he does and he's not like malicious or or bad so it's kind of like a interesting dynamic at play because you said there's a separate baddie and then you've got these you know these two two main sections um and brian just calling back to one of your very earlier points of the podcast about the uh, collateral damage um because in this one where they're lugging the safe around at the end with the two cars (laughs) and it goes it goes through a bank at one point and it's all just oh those scamps it's like surely that would have killed dozens of people I know, Surely. It, but this is it. You suspend your disbelief, <laughs> which you do with a lot of films. You have to, right? But you can't help logic uh, coming through. You think, hang on a minute, wait a minute. How can they? Do, how could this possibly be? And the, suspending your disbelief only takes you so far. <laughs> you yeah, think, hang I, on a minute, hold on. Yeah, in, in, in later films, in, in later films, they, I think, like try to like kind of do that by like you know having it take place in less populated areas or kind of taking note of the fact that civilians aren't getting killed you know stuff like that yeah it it certainly is you know as you say you got to suspend disbelief and i think that it's also you you kind of feel in tune with the characters that they're so highly tuned much like their vehicles that Mm. they seem to have judged the situation but you know in, in manners that we wouldn't be able to comprehend and I think that that's like part of that feeling of you get on board with these characters because you just think they're just so good at what they do. They're just the you know, the best of the best. And, you know, they, none of them have had any professional training other than Brian. <laughs> but they're just like, yeah. oh, of course, they, but because they, of their speed racing and all that stuff. Yeah, they take to it straight away, don't they? You know, yeah. it doesn't take any, any sort of practice or training or anything. Yeah, I can do this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And um, I think this is one of those films as well that you... I remember more of this film, but also it's got some more of the sort of iconic scenes from the whole franchise like that safe scene like i always mention that if anyone talks about you know if they've never seen fast and furious i kind of always end up bringing that scene up and go oh yeah there's a bit where there's two cars mm. dragging a safe through the streets mm. and they're like okay um it doesn't sell it often but i say you have to watch it and um they i think in this film it was really clear as well they knew 
how to borrow from other films. Um, I, you know, I mentioned the Ocean's Eleven and the Mission Impossible thing, like where they're selecting their team and they're doing things off camera that we don't see, like hiding the safe. So we think it's still the real safe, but it's not. It was put on a luggage, uh, a rubbish truck. And it's like interesting that they do that just kind of shamelessly. It's like, you know, we know this works with other films, so we're going to do it as well. And I was fine with that. I thought, actually, yeah, go for it. It works. Yeah. Um, so... Fast and Furious 6, um, for me, still good, um, but it, it was a bit of a step down from the, the dizzying heights of number five. Um, and in this film, we see Luke Evans take over as the baddie, um, which is an important character to, to the rest of the franchise um, because of who he's related to. And uh, you also get with this one that um, Letty's not dead. So... Much like they bring Han back in one film, in this film they bring Letty back, um, which I kind of thought was okay handled. Um, I mean, it's a bit difficult to bring her back, but they they did it. Um, And it's not actually the thing that I was completely against. One of the worst things about number six, and this is just me, was the fact that there's a scene that's meant to be in London, and they cut to the vending machine, and the vending machine is full of US chocolates. There's all, <laughs> there's all, there's all like Reese's Pieces and things in there, and I was yeah. like, wait, 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 yeah. where, where, uh, where's your double-decker? Where's your boost? Come on. <laughs> um, how are you on this one, Brian? Do you like this one? Um, I think it was okay. I think it suffers because it followed five directly oh, followed five sure, yeah. and you compare them unfairly i think in some ways but it's it's not the strongest i think again i mentioned earlier on about box ticking where it's going through the numbers you know the classic sort of storylines that we can follow what have we not done so far and this seems to be like they're ticking another storyline they need to cover but it was okay it was okay but you know I think between five and seven, I think it was unfortunate to be where it is because naturally now, because where we see, we can watch them as a box set, you compare all of them together. And I think six suffers because, you know, because of what's what's immediately around it. And it, you compare the two and it doesn't come off quite as well. But, yeah. you know, good, good enough, good enough. It's consistent. Yeah. That's all you'd say, really. Yeah, I I would say I'm probably more positive on it than you guys. I I I really I remember really enjoying it. Um, I found it to be very. It was hard because it was the first time that there was actually like a sense of like weighty expectation on a Fast and Furious film to not only like mm. keep up this like surprising sort of improved quality, but also to have this like you know to to kind of to to sort of up the scale of the prior film as well and also continue the story and you know it was like in some ways i think it was like kind of a turning point like first of all it was sort of like them really embracing the continuity of the prior films and which is something that is kind of noteworthy because the first bunch of films didn't get the best reviews and they could have easily just sort of like forgotten about the continuity but they choose to i think each film kind of each film like after fast and furious kind of embraces it and that's something that i kind of like i like that they do it because it even gives the earlier films a sense of importance even if they're not the greatest as films but like yeah so that's something that kind of that fast and furious 6 kind of does but it also also what i think it does is they're kind of like i would say it ups it, it definitely ups the ridiculous like it is an utterly ridiculous movie <laughs> and it's definitely a film that like even like up to that point even for the series you were just like I mean, this is like just beyond dumb. This is just so, so dumb. But I think they kind of found a great balance to where they sort of were, they were in on the joke, but 
they also gave it this level of like sincerity to where you were able to still enjoy it despite the ridiculousness like justin lynn still directed it very well um it was still it was still really entertaining really fun there were a lot of great comedic moments in it especially from like roman who really i think he really comes into his own and is in some ways his funniest and you know and like it it does have those moments that are just hilarious like the moment i always come back to is the bit where dom saves letty from dying by just jumping up and grabbing her like it's just like it's a moment that would never happen in reality but you just love that it was captured on film and i think that that right there is also important to note that it's where the series not only became kind of a cartoon but also became kind of a soap opera as well like i like i find myself comparing the fast and furious series to like a tv series and it kind of represents a lot of different kinds of like tv like some people compared it to like an anime uh but i would sort of compare it it's almost like a combination between a cartoon and a soap opera and fast and furious 6 to me is where the series really started to become both it became both cartoonish and also became a soap opera like i feel like especially like bringing back a character from the dead and also giving them amnesia that's like two soap <laughs> opera plots in one yeah that, that works you know yeah. So yeah, so I think like it, it, like you know like like you can debate whether or not it's as fun as some of the other ones, but I think it's definitely I think it's a very important entry, and I think it's very I I I I I did think that it was like wildly entertaining, and you know it did have some emotional moments in there as well, especially with like you know the stuff between like Han and Giselle, you know, and how it's yeah. clearly setting up what's going to happen in Tokyo Drift and even Furious Seven as well. So yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, the the Gal Gadot um section was like quite heart wrenching actually, and um yeah, there was there was there was bits to this film that definitely felt they they wanted to try and make a sincere film, as you said. There were bits as well that it felt like maybe they were taking on things that were out out and about in the popular culture. So there was a lot of hand to hand fighting going on, which I think was a you know, being adopted by films after the Bourne series. And there was a lot of tech and gadgets and things. So it was getting kind of James Bondy. Um, there was some, I, I actually wrote down that bit about him catching Letty in midair <laughs> just because I thought, oh, it was just, it was just so beautiful. You were like, they both would have died. That's what's so funny about that <laughs> film. He did that. That didn't, that wouldn't have worked. Um, and there's also a bit where he headbutts someone on a plane. He flying headbutts them, like he jumps across. And I was like, that must have really hurt. That would have really, really hurt. And then also that end bit, how long was the runway? They were going along on this, like fighting in this plane, and thinking this runway is is just never ending. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's as long as the movie needed to do, need, yeah. needed it to be. <laughs> yeah. It, it's just that logic nags at you, doesn't it, when you watch mm. this, and you don't want it to, because you know when, when logic kicks in, you think, oh, you enjoy it a bit less. Yeah. Because that that's when you when you're reasoning it out, you think, nah, this won't happen, and it that's what I find annoying, really, because I don't want to be um, uh, affected by logic when I watch a film like this. Uh, but I find that I am. I and mean, that's probably why I'm a film critic. Well, I, I think like... it crowbars you out of it, doesn't it? Like you, sometimes you're watching yeah. it and that moment just makes you think too much about it. Whereas actually you do need to kind of switch off a little bit when you're watching these films because yeah. they don't really hold up to huge amounts of scrutiny. Um, and then, so at the end of six, um, Gal Gadot um, character dies and we move to... Fast and Furious 7. And this time is where we get a change of director for a while, for the first time in a while. And it's James Wan directing. Um, and it's the introduction, introduction sorry, of um, Jason Statham, 
or the Stafe, as he's commonly known. Um, <laughs> and it's um, this one I thought was a bit. Uh, I did. I liked it. I thought it was, there was a lot of great elements to it, but I did also find it um, kind of annoying um, with the, the sort of machoism going on. There's a scene where Dom and the Stafe just drive their cars into each other. Like they're just staring at each other and they just like just drive their cars into each other. And it was like, right. Like you both seem very capable, like equipped guys, but that just seemed really stupid that you would just do that. Um, What's well, a real life thing actually that uh, people do with like with cars? It's called <laughs> a, like playing chicken, basically. Yeah, I get that, but they both lost then, right? Surely that was not what, how that's meant to end. <laughs> I don't know. It just it felt like it was like this kind of like muscle flexing. It was like going back to the whole like arm wrestle, but with cars, and it just <laughs> it just didn't land at all. Um, and then. They do get Kurt Russell in this film, though, which I was very happy about, mm-hmm. Like, uh, oh, yeah. which I thought was good. Um, Rob, how are you with this one? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So so it's one that, like, I've actually, like, got, got better as I was thinking about it. Like, I remember in the production, obviously, like, at first I was just like, oh, okay, it's just going to be another one of these. And, you know, they're changing, they're getting in James Wan, who had previously mostly just done, like, horror films. Uh, so, all right, this will be interesting. And then the death of Paul Walker happened, which I'm, I'm surprised you didn't bring up, Chris, because that's, like, a very important element of Fury 7. But, like so, like, so that happened in production. And I was like, oh, God, are they even going to, like, finish mm-hmm. it? And then they... And then they did manage to finish it, and then they started promoting it. I was wondering how it was going to go. And although, like, at first, when I first saw it, I wasn't really a fan because I didn't really like the change in director because um, that lended itself to a different style that I initially wasn't really a fan of when I saw it in the cinema. Uh, like, when I, when I first saw Furious 7, I did find it to be a very, like, aggressive, a, a bit of an obnoxious film. Mm. But I think when I watched it on DVD again... I found it much, much more bearable. And I think that's just because the style that James Wan adopted, the more aggressive cutting style, the slight, the grittier style, along with the bombast, kind of was just, it was a bit, it was a bit easier to take in on a smaller screen. Um, and, you know, but, but again, like one thing that was retained as well was that that movie was kind of an accomplishment because when you think about it, it's like, it, like the story alone was already juggling, like, you know the state of revenge story and also the introduction of like mr nobody and like you know like kurt russell and also this entire other like god's eye stuff that they're like it was bringing the series both to a more outlandish scale than it had been before but also trying to balance in the you know the introduction of statham and like you know the Han death and this events of tokyo drift but like and and also the death of paul walker you know and they had to like as a result they had to like do all of this stuff and also write in tr- somehow weave in a way to retire the Brian character, you know? So, and the fact, and I have to be honest, I actually felt like they pulled it off. Yeah, I, I think so too. I actually think it's a fairly seamless way of, of, of writing that character down, uh, you know, getting off into the sunset. Um, I think there's a lot of, you know, uh, there's a lot in this film, and I, I think you notice the run times of these films get a lot longer because um, I think they do try to do so much. There's still a lot um, that I didn't really like. I think you know, there's, there's scenes here where, like we were saying earlier, that it, it jolted me out, like where they're driving the cars between the buildings in Abu Dhabi and stuff, and it was like, right, okay, like <laughs> that car's not going to keep going, but 
okay. And then like Dom, he's just like holding the car up at one point. Like he just 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 there holding it up, and it was like <laughs> you must have something that could do that. Like surely there's something else that could do that. Um, but it it was it was okay. Um, I think the ending, like it, there's this drone going around and it's like bombing everything. That that was when for me it, it then moved into this. It drifted into this kind of semi kind of sci-fi era, and it was like right, is this is this really where you want to go now? Okay, fine. Um, and I would just like to mention as well the the sort of um, the leering camera work in this film. Um, so there's a character of Ramsey who gets introduced, and it's just like perving on her at times she's coming out of the beach at one point i mean a couple of times no not uh, not like heavily i mean she's i mean it, she, she does do stuff in the film you know and she does stuff in a couple of the next films as oh, well. i like but, her as a yeah, character I don't don't get you wrong don't get me wrong i actually think yeah. she's a good character to have introduced it's great seeing someone sort of beautiful but smart and really dangerous like you know behind a computer i think that was a great idea but the, the character itself gets kind of subjected to this this cringy leeringness that is like Right, that, that I'm not not on board with that one. Um, Brian, how about you? Well, yeah, I mean, I agree with you on that particular point. But you see, I think this type of film is always going to be sucked into that tendency to to have a character like that, and and kind of fall for it, and be so obvious about it as well, which is disappointing in some ways, because that she's an interesting character. There's more to her than that, obviously. The film itself, I, I actually quite enjoyed it. I think seven and eight was um, a change of direction in the storyline. It got more James Bond-esque, I think, didn't it? Yeah. Seven and eight. Um, it's got Jason Statham. I like Jason Statham. He plays oh, great, yeah. the same character in every single film. <laughs> and we know he's made a career out of playing the roles that Bruce Willis turned down or the ones that he's too old for now. And why not? Good luck to him. And he's good fun. But also, um, it's got Kurt Russell in. Kurt Russell is such a cool actor. He's underrated and underused, and it was great to see him there. But um, I pretty much agree with the points that you and Rob have made about this film, that it, that it does the job, it's good enough, and it begins to take the franchise in a slightly new direction. Hmm. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say it takes it in a new direction. I, th- I think that the, the prior two films more so did that, whereas this one, the, the, this one is more just kind of upping, is further upping the scale but what it also does as well is that it kind of, you know, well, it ups the scale. It kind of ties into earlier films as well. Um, but I think, I, but I think the, the the main thing that it kind of did was it sort of, I mean, first of all, it was like way more successful than even the, the, like Fast Five. Um, it made a billion dollars, you know, which is insane to think that the series would, a series that started out was somewhat niche would then make a billion, you know, that's like, that is crazy. But I think it managed to, it managed, I think part of the reason why it was so successful is because like, in some respects, it kind of, it also like, I think worked even as like an introductory film. Like, which is weird to say about a seventh film and, you know, it was, and it was still reliant on the other films, but I think it kind of, it worked as a, as also a strange jumping on point as well for the series because it was so successful. Then that meant that it probably did introduce the series to a lot of other people. I mean, Fast Five was the first one that my mother ever saw. And, you know, that was like, and she's actually been a fan of the films ever since. Like I took her to see Fast Five and she actually, she hadn't even seen the other ones and she just got on board with the series, you know, <laughs> That's awesome. and you know, and that kind of, so, so yeah, so that stuff and it, so there was that, but, and I think, 
you know, like, the, and, and, and the main thing about it, like, obviously, again, was also that Paul Walker send-off stuff. Like, you know, that, like, the ending of the film, like, it kind of, it managed to, like, I would say it managed to, like, in-universe write off the character, giving them an appropriate, like, conclusion or final note. And also work as a really beautiful tribute to, like, you know, him who had, like, lost his life, obviously, and, like, you know, it kind of, it's, it's, it's a very, it's a really emotional ending, in my opinion, and it's a very, like, um, it's one that, like, I mean, I don't think it necessarily, like, would have been a good place to end the series, but if they had chosen not to make any more films afterwards, I think it would have been a nice, good conclusion. Oh, yeah, I think, you know, the scene where they're on the beach at the end, and he's drinking the beer and stuff, and I think it's, quite nice but it felt more like it was a it was more of a tribute to paul walker than than anything else so um yeah, but he was such an yeah. important character in the series that i can understand how some people might look at that and view that hmm. as the end of the of the yeah. saga you know yeah I, yeah i think you could have done that um and been fine the, the interesting thing is that you've got this you know seven set the precedent of them becoming this kind of like global sort out squad that it was like you know, that the world could need them um not just more of like a localized kind of issue mm-hmm. um and then in eight you start to see that more right um yeah with the well, I, I, I want to say something about a couple of things about fear seven though but, but before we push on to yeah, no, go for it, go for as well like uh, like so so first of all like i i think that was where the whole the the you know the often memed family theme really came into play with that one like it was present in the prior couple and even in the earlier films but i think this was the one where it really really became clear that like you know these guys because like beforehand they were sort of separated but once they were brought together for fast five once they were brought together once they continued being there for furious six and you know the late and all the films afterwards it did become about family and you know it not, not just surrogate family but also literal family and you know, in like in Fury Seven, you have that defining the, the the again often memed but defining moment where, um, you know, Dom says in retaliation to like Deckard, who is like, "Oh, I've partnered up with this guy," and he's 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 like like he he pulls out the whole adage of like, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and he says like, "I don't just get friends, I got family." You know, and it's that was like pretty good. That's pretty good, Rob. Well done. <laughs> yeah, it's I, I I can do better. Yeah, but I mean, it's I mean, it's 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 kind of cheesy, and it is a subject of mockery. But it is it's I would say it is a defining moment. It's like you know, it's like the characters in the series aren't just colleagues or buddies. They're buddies. They are family. You know, and you know, yeah. Uh, the, and, and the last thing I just want to say about. Fury 7 as well is that i think it has some of the best one-liners in the series um stuff like you know like what i'm gonna do to him words ain't even been invented yet <laughs> or like and uh my favorite one oh, oh yeah there's also a daddy's got to go to work as well as he flexes off the arm cast and i think my favorite one probably and this is and this it, it, it doesn't even make sense but it's just so awesome is the bit where he says um like they bring it they have the whole callback of like you know you thought this was going to be a street fight when him and deckard are like facing off against each other beginning in the ending yeah, and then he yeah. says like at first he says like oh you thought this was, this was going to be a street fight you're goddamn right it is and they have that epic moment when they start fighting each other with like what was it like gears or like wrenches or wrenches something like or that? So, yeah something from the car yeah, yeah 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 and then and the way that fight concludes 
it has that great amazing line where he just goes uh the thing about a street fight is the street always wins <laughs> which as makes the, no sense as the floor like swallowed him up from the whatever it was that caused it to to sink and like dom's just standing there as if like yeah i know this isn't going to get me like like he knows how structural you know damage works he knows that he's not gonna gonna perish um it, yeah I, I wrote down that line because i just thought it was just so brilliant um there was yeah. another one for me which is when they were driving in the abu dhabi bit and they go he goes i think it's a ball walk actor he goes oh dom cars don't fly <laughs> and it was like <laughs> Great. Someone wrote that down, did they? Someone thought we better put this line in. Um, yeah, it's a lot of fun, and I think you know that is definitely part of it. Is those cheesy lines, and like you say, they on the one hand they know what they're doing, they know they're being sort of silly, but on the other hand, they kind of mean it as well. It's, it's, it's a weird balance. Um, yeah. Brian, any other thoughts on seven before we move into eight? No, I think that's just about it, really. I think the the tribute to uh, Paul Walker was really touching. I think, it, but isn't it tragic though that he's his life ended it was ended mm. by a car crash. It's, yeah. There's, there's a cruel irony there, isn't there, really? And for such a young life, relatively young life to be ended in that way, in, you know, doing something that helped him make his name as an actor, I, I just can't get over the irony of that, really. And I think he was, you know, poised as well to, you know, take off as a kind of a you know, character actor that we would have seen in a lot of things. And much yeah. like, you know, we've seen other characters from the, the series. But um, yeah, it's really, really sad. I think he does great in the role. Uh, I saw him in another film where he actually played a very similar character. It was to do with like a car and it being stolen. <laughs> you remember him being in the back of it? Yeah. I can't really remember the scene that well. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of it now. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, then we moved to seven and, uh, uh, sorry, eight. And obviously it's meant to be, as Rob said, it almost feels like the, it, they could have finished in the previous film because Dom's kind of in retirement and uh, on his honeymoon and obviously there's no mention of Paul like, it's very much like oh yeah he's not coming back his character isn't coming back um, but they get drawn back in because uh, lo and behold Charlize Theron steps in as this um, cackling baddie and I mean she absolutely chews the scenery in this film I must say she, she's having a whale of a time um, and you've got you know The Rock trying to sort of just teach uh, football um you know, teaching the kids to do the warrior chant. That was really fun. I really enjoyed that bit. Yeah. Um, but this time, you know, maybe they're, they're thinking, you know, they're, they're in the writer's room and think, right, what's what's going to be the threat now? How do we get this to, to have a new feel? Um, and they get the Dom character to turn against the family. Now, a bold move, I must say, it was kind of like, how are they going to pull this off? And mm. I think they do it okay. Uh, it works because he has obviously the, the threat of um, the son that he never knew he had being threatened on the plane and um, the officer who he's with when he thinks Letty's dead. And yeah, it's it's kind of like, okay, this is where we're going with number eight. But for me, this was one that first off, I found myself drifting off quite a lot when, when it was on because there was just so many scenes where I was like, this is just getting incredibly ridiculous now um like such as all the cars being turned into zombies <laughs> as they said that, you know it's zombie time and it was like oh god and then like, I love the, that line. it was awful and the end bit though where they've got the submarine and it was just like right now you're like you're giving james bond like a run for their money for being too ridiculous and it just yeah um I, I, there's a lot to like about it. I think if you're on board with the series by this point, you, you enjoy it. 
But if you were to come in at the series at this point, I think you would have a lot of questions and a lot of concerns. Um, Ryan, how about you? Yeah, I actually, I really enjoyed it. I think it's we're in more authentically Bond-type territory now, which is probably why I warmed to it a lot more. I think Charlie Theron was excellent. Really, really good in the role. And Kurt Russell, again, was really, really good. But I think in some ways, though, because it's the eighth film, were we not all feeling a certain amount of Fast and Furious fatigue? You know, that we've seen, already seen seven films that are all very enjoyable. But is it not kind of wearing thin a little bit now? Even for fans, you know, mm. I think it's safe to say that we're, we all enjoy the series. But by the eighth film, is it not wearing too th- so thin now that it gets a bit tiresome to watch? I just wonder. Yeah, well, so that kind of so that's kind of ties into my opinion on it as well. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fate of the Furious. I, I don't know. For me, I think this is like this is one of my least favorite entries by far um it's annoying because like it had it had a lot of potential i think even just within the setup the problem is is that when you're watching it play out you kind of realize that the entire thing feels more like especially by the time you reach the ending it feels more like just a kind of attempt to continue the series like this one sort of feels like they're like all right how do we continue it um what would be an interesting plot oh yeah let's have dom you know do like like do this like like seemingly betray his like his friends and family and stuff like that and kind of then the problem is is that like that that's kind of all the film feels like and it feels it 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 just drifts away from a lot of the strengths of the prior films um like this entire kind of civil war-esque plot that's going on the problem is, is that that kind of takes away from the appeal of the prior films, which was seeing the characters like interact, have banter, have fun, and you know have this like genuine, genuine heart. It feels like a strangely, it, it goes for heart in a couple of areas, like at the beginning and even at the end. But it feels strange. It felt strangely bitter and a lot meaner and a lot darker as well. It felt like the series was trying to go darker. And, you know, it kind of, but that, but that just didn't really work. And it kind of, you know, it, it made some choices that were very unwise, unfortunately, like bringing in like Scott Eastwood is this sort of like, he almost felt like a Brian replacement, you know, and it kind of, and that felt very obvious to me. Um, the sort of the, uh, even, even the whole like notion of doing this kind of like, again, betrayal plot line. Again, again, it it just sort of resulted in a film that just wasn't that entertaining, you know, it wasn't that fun. Um, there were fun moments to be sure, and the, the uh, speaking of sure, um, obviously the chemistry between the Rock and Statham was a surprise element that they actually like found, yeah. and that did really work for the film. It definitely it, it gave the film a lot of life that it really needed, but for me, but for me anyway, that like I think it was a mistake to try and redeem the Deckard character and because I think the the thing is is that they didn't really realize how beloved of the character Han was so people I just think were not on board for the idea of you know Statham like getting this sort of redemption plot line and um I, I don't know it just resulted in a film that felt like it was moving away from what Fast and Furious kind of was you know so yeah no no I'm not really a fan 
Yeah, I, I agree. I think there's definitely elements here where they've made some questionable decisions about what to do with certain characters. And, um, you know, I think they did sort of run the risk of putting the good work of the previous few films uh, here. Um, there's still a lot to, to really love and the spectacle is, is definitely here. There's a huge amount of um, spectacle. But for me, it's definitely, when I rewatched it, it wasn't something that I kind of thought, wow, that was great. It was like, oh, okay, yeah, it's still a little bit, um, a little bit misjudged for me, uh, that yeah, one. So, well, yeah, good story. Uh, sorry, yeah, I was going to move on to Hobbs and Shaw, but has anyone got well, well, anything else well, on okay. Well, I wanted to say something else as well about uh, Fate of the Furious too. Um, like the like like also, I think I think the bitterness wasn't helped by the fact that like 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 not in and this could partially be because of the story that they chose, but the but the whole like the Rock and Vin Diesel kind of feud that was going on. Um, unfortunately, that really can be that like not literally felt, but that can really be felt in the film's tone. Because in the other films, it felt like everyone really, really wanted to be there and really, really, like, you know, were enjoying what they were doing. Even in Furious 7, when they were more, like, grieving in the later on bits, like, you know, when, when Walker had died, obviously. Like, in, the, in this one, I don't know, it didn't feel like there was that sense that, like, the cast really, really wanted to do this. You know, it didn't feel like anyone was really having a good time. Mm-hmm. Um like and again, I think part oh, of that could have been maybe because the Rock and Vin Diesel feud kind of affected the rest of the cast. But I think it affected, I think it affected the overall tone. You know, I think it affected the heart of Fast and Furious. Yeah, I, I hadn't really thought too much about it, and it's interesting you say that because now that I'm thinking about the film, one of the uh, aspects that I did notice was I didn't get those laughs. There wasn't a huge amount to kind of enjoy. That you didn't get the chemistry quite as strongly. Um, I mean, it was actually things like more random things that made me laugh, like Helen Mirren playing mm-hmm. you know, the yeah, state's mum. Right. That was that was like really fun. And then, like like I said, with uh, Charlize Theron, just kind of going full panto at one point, like really, really enjoying her, the <laughs> the villain the villain role. Um, but for me, yeah, I think there was a bit where she sort of says, "Let's get this party started." I was like, "Wow!" I, I think they're letting her do what she wants now. Um, but yeah, it, 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 I think it was a bit of a misfire for me. Um, so, yeah, and interestingly, you know, the, the bit with The Rock and um, Statham doing their kind of banter in the prison, you know, they're kind of throwing lines at each other. Um, that actually didn't really work for me. And it's interesting that it then led to the, the new film where it does really work. So the, the latest, well, apart from F9, so Hobson Shaw was 2019. And you get this spin-off where new director but some of the similar cast and it's kind of uh, jumping back to London slightly, um, like the seventh film. And you've also got Idris Elba as the baddie and you've got Eddie Marsden turns up as a scientist. Mm. Uh, Kevin Hart is in there for a little bit. And what I really liked about Hobbs and Shaw was how, first off, self-aware it was, but secondly, just kind of how they got a lot of the comedy right. It felt like a good deviation from the series because the series is quite serious at points. You know, they do try and be quite sincere. Whereas this felt like they could open up a little bit, make it a little more fun. It was a return to the sort of comedic aspects of the series, but I'm intrigued to see what you guys think, uh, Rob. Yeah. Oh, me. Um, yeah, I wasn't kind of like Fate of the Furious. I wasn't really the biggest fan of this one. Um, so I, so that, that, that is a good point that you brought up about like it return it like, just fully embracing the comedy and that you know 
like that combined with like Idris Elba just being an outright like cyborg, you know, mm-hmm. like they they intru- they basically just introduced sci-fi elements into the series, you know, and that was like and that was great to see, don't get me wrong, and you know, inherently the idea of, you know, Dwayne and Jason kind of leading this like kind of like sort sort of cheesy action movie that like is totally outlandish, but you know, could but like 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 that sounds like a recipe for fun. But I think the problem is is that the idea sounds so much more entertaining than the execution because the execu- the execution of the film is just it's too much, I feel. It's a film that really, really, really I think out of all the films it the most suffers from having that extended length. Because I feel like it is fun to begin with. There is there are definitely a lot of fun moments, but the problem is is that it just keeps going and going and going. And really like it's it's an extremely bloated film. It really it could have you could have easily told that same story in like an hour and forty minutes, but it gets extended partially because of this like comedic banter element that is there between like the two leads, obviously, and that's one thing. Then they bring in, you know, yeah, as you mentioned, Kevin Hart. They bring in Ryan Reynolds. They bring in the, these these kind of elements that sort of like really, really just slow the film down and just make it very like it makes it becomes i think too self-aware like yeah yeah obviously they're aiming for comedy but then it, it becomes literally like they're just sort of like all right these guys are funny so let's put them in scenes and let's just have them exchange dialogue but it goes on for way too long and it unfortunately it weighs the movie down in my opinion and although like it's obviously there are still plenty of like fun absurd moments like you know like the um the climax as well with the helicopter stunt and like you know the like the journey to new, to new zealand that was great and or was it new zealand or hawaii Samoa, wasn't it at the end i think i think so yeah 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 and like so it was like that like like so that was fun and seeing like you know and seeing again some of the sci-fi elements in practice were really really entertaining to see but unfortunately i think it was it, it's almost, the experience of watching it for me it was almost like somebody who's really really funny but they end up dragging the joke into the ground to the point to where it no longer becomes funny. So yeah, I I, I don't know. That's kind of how it was for me. Well, that that, yeah, that feels very uh, honest of you, Rob. Yeah, really laid out there. Brian, how about you? Well, I've not actually seen it yet, but I oh mean, well, get off the podcast. What are you doing? I know here? I've I've not actually seen it yet. It's 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 the it's one I haven't seen, but that's fair enough. You look at the, I mean, you look at the cast. You look at who's involved. You think, oh, that sounds great. I'm almost <laughs> sorry I haven't seen it yet because I can't really comment on it. Well, but, it's pretty, pretty bloated. But yeah, yeah, that's but, one thing but, I agree with Rob. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you, you know, because like, and and again, I think it just it does come from a matter of you know, like, like kind of too much of a good thing. Like you know, like 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 yeah, you do have these like very funny actors, and you do have like you know like a lot of like comedic banter that is again funny but when you like let that take over it's like that becomes a problem because you do need to at least have a sense of like tightness of okay we're going here we're doing this we're doing this we're doing this there's a lot of parts that do kind of drag in that film and you know it kind of and i think also just um it i mean it does it still does have somewhat of the heart of fast and the furious you know it does have it does have the family element, particularly in the third act when you when you find out the backstory of the Hobbs character, and also the whole relationship between you know Deckard and his like sister as well. Like you like you do have that stuff in there, and that stuff does work very well. Um, but it still 
to me, overall didn't quite feel as sincere as the other films. It felt mm. more like, you know, like, let, like, let's just outright play this for laughs and see if it works. And But, but Rob, yeah. Rob does, does it necessarily need sincerity? Really? Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I think that, that was just something that I kind of liked about the prior films, that they would just, like, play... Mm. That, they would play that they would play stuff for laughs, don't get me wrong, that there would be humour, but that largely they would just be very, very, very sincere. It, but this one, sound, again, with that... Yeah, sorry, Rob. It sounds to me but, as though they're yeah. trying to take it back to the source, you know, where it originates from, really. And this type of action... It is an action movie. This type of action movie is really... The modern inheritor of Die Hard, Lethal Weapon, right? And in essence, it is laughs. It's play for laughs. It's tongue in cheek. Mm-hmm. You see some great set pieces. You see some what you see some great actors wisecracking away, and that's what they're trying to continue. I think that's the tr- tradition they're trying to carry on. But, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's just you know. Again, as I said, it, I, I think the problem is is that like that kind of overpowers the film. You know. It overpowers it to the point to where you you kind of think to yourself like like are they like what's well, that like like not 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 to the point to where they're like not taking it seriously but more just to the point to where that becomes what it is you know rather than anything else. I quite like the idea that you could have these spin-off films though that did have their own tone that did. Yeah, deviates slightly. I, I definitely agree with you, Rob. I think it's over long. Um, and comedy films often are not that long because you mm-hmm. can't maintain the laughs <laughs> for that journey. But I think with this one, they try to do a lot with the story. There's a lot of different scenes and you know different countries and, and whatever. But I think that um, it was a, it was a refresher. I definitely enjoyed it more than eight. Um, I think I, I came out feeling really good about it. I just want to give a shout out to Vanessa Kirby because she's in it and she's really great. I think you know she gets she plays the sister and and I really enjoyed that. I didn't enjoy Idris Elba that much. Um, he has a line by the way, Brian. It's worth watching yeah. just for this one line where he says genocide, schmenocide. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so yeah it's worth sticking around just for that um yeah. and then the, the re- final scene is pretty good in samoa i thought it was i right. really mu- i really must see it now yeah uh, yeah you'll be yeah. you'll be cracking up on that line yeah. um anything else on hobson shaw rob uh no really. well, well I, okay okay i'll mention like one thing um and that's that like i think my experience might have been soured by the fact that um uh that that that, that film has probably like the worst credits of any of the series <laughs> by far and it, it it's hard to kind of describe like it, it, it'll be kind of a spoiler so i won't go into detail um to spoil it for you brian oh. but basically it like basically they, they they play the credits and then they're playing but they're also playing this ending montage alongside it and it was really 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 distracting it really took away from like what they were trying because they are kind of trying to go for a bit but then emotional ending scene somewhat but they're playing the credits during it and then there's this post and then there's and then there's this like individual credit scene right and then they play the credits and then there's another credit scene and then at the end of the credits there's another credit scene and a couple of the credit scenes are basically just the same scene and it was a sign that the film was really really pushing itself a sign that they were really trying to be like let's just put in as much as possible you know like like let's just like insert this scene, insert this bit, insert this bit. And it just became kind of, I, I, I don't know, I think it ended the film on a very annoying note. So 
that's probably the, partially the reason why I didn't come away from it with the best like opinion. I I think you you've you know exercised some demons here, Rob. I feel like you're working through these feelings that you have towards it. It's pretty good. Um, I th- I want to um just quickly sum up on uh, F nine because you know, Brian and myself haven't seen it. Um, but Rob, you have obviously try not to go into any detail really about the film, but um, was it? Where does it sit with you? Oh, um, like on the one hand, I I think objectively speaking, on like a writing level, it's kind of it is kind of worse than the prior two films. But I do feel like on a it kind it does slightly get the series back on track, and it does um it does like it it on the one hand it it does go way 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 more dramatic than many of the other ones. But it also does have that element of sincerity, of emotional sincerity that was kind of lacking in the prior two films. And, you know, it pushes the ridiculous up, the ridiculous levels up to like insane proportions, more so than any of the other films. And that's kind of a good thing, um, even if like it does make me wonder what the hell they'll do for like, you know, like F10 and F11, you know, it's like, OK, well, you went there. What are you going to do after this? Like, how are you going to continue this? And I think it kind of works as like a bit of a milestone celebration because it wasn't intended to come out on the 20th anniversary, but it almost kind of feels like a reunion film in a few ways. Um, it kind of, it like, it's, I, I think it's it, the return of Justin Ling kind of like is part of that as well. And although I think it's not as well directed as his other films, I think he still like brings back the general Fast and Furious tone well and you know he kind of and, and and yeah he makes a film that you know you might not you might not enjoy you might go away thinking wow that was really complicated and dumb and you know like it, it could even be a breaking point for a fan of the series but for me in some respects it was kind of in a bit of an affirmation of some of its stronger elements okay well i i for one i'm very much looking forward to it um uh, Brian, I'm sure you'll catch up on it. You're going to try and watch Hobbs and Shaw before you get to a- F9. A- absolutely, yeah. I've got to watch that before I see uh, F9. So yeah, well, really I, I don't think you that. necessarily need to, but but well, well you can. You, no, you can. I want to. Yeah, I want to. I want to see that first. I've got to get that kind of chronology right, you know. Now, and also, so I yeah. didn't see them in order before, so genocide. Make sure I get it right. Genocide, you know, that's what you're really going for. So yeah. <laughs> um, right, guys, I want to thank you for um, this lovely chat on Fast and Furious. I didn't realize we had so much to say about it. That's what's been very surprising and great. Um, it's definitely a set of films I've enjoyed and found silly and found funny and you know in all different manners. So I think well worth our time. And, you know, it's obviously as um, Rob, as you sort of inclinated there, there's going to be at least two more films that I think Vin Diesel has confirmed. So, but I think they, well, they always say this, but, are meant to be the last two. So I think it's going to be a part one and part two, I think. So, you know, could be we end up revisiting this, you know, at the next point when they bring these out. Um, But otherwise, it's been a joy to have a chat with you guys about this. I just want to thank you both for your time. Um, And listeners, yeah, thank you for uh, sticking with us on this Fast and Furious episode. I just want to say, uh, so thank you to Rob. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Thank you to Brian. Cheers. And uh, we'll see you again next time.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.